is a theme this morning, and uh, it's an obvious one, and, um, but uh, it's a glorious one, and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's in light of that this morning that we do want to look in the scriptures and just identify and see again the glorious truths that are associated, not just with the fact that Christ rose from the dead and that in and of itself, but the glorious truths that are associated with the resurrection. And so we want to uh, look at some of these. And John, again, Gospel of John chapter 11, where we will read um, verse 25. As our text, actually from verse 17, we'll read. But, um, uh, but it's an obvious text. And it's one of the uh, uh, I am statements that Jesus made. And uh, it's the obvious one for today. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. Hallelujah. And so he is, praise the Lord, and especially in the context of which uh, we find Jesus speaking those words, we find a glorious statement that is being made by our Lord. And so we will consider that in its context and the declaration that Jesus makes. But I also want to consider other aspects of the resurrection this morning that we find in the scriptures as they relate to us as Christians. And so because there are, uh, there are varied, or a few, at least a few truths that surround this statement that Jesus makes, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the obvious one which we're well aware of has to do with his physical resurrection obviously, and that is then connected to our ultimate physical resurrection as well, which is the hope of the gospel that we have. We await that day, amen, when the dead in Christ shall rise and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up. And so there is this teachings of various resurrections we have in the scripture. And so uh, this is the great hope that we have. But also, as fundamental as that is to the message of the gospel that we preach this morning, there are, there's an aspect that I want to consider with you that has to do with the, what is termed as, or labelled as, the life or power of the resurrection. Just the sheer fact that the resurrection itself, uh, but there's a power behind that resurrection, amen? There is a life behind that resurrection, hallelujah. And so it's in light of that that there is a truth that's deeper for us to identify because it's taught, as I will attempt to show you in the scriptures, and something that is part of the Christian life for us as believers as we are partakers of the divine nature. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so there is undeniably, as we will see in the scriptures, this, uh, this resurrection power that is uh, available to be appropriated, to be experienced and makes up the Christian life uh, that we live. Praise the Lord. And so one thing I don't want us to do is be ignorant of it because uh, uh, there is a wonderful, glorious truth that surrounds us. So as we read, let's consider these things. And I pray the Lord would speak to us and bless us from his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would bless our time together as we come around your word, Lord. God, that our eyes would be opened and that God, our ears would be attentive. 
Lord, to your word, God, and I pray deposit the truth and that truth, Lord, as we abide in it, let that truth, Lord, bring freedom and liberty. God, I pray bless the word this morning. Bless your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 11, verse 17 we'll start from. Uh, a familiar portion of text. So when Jesus came... He found that he had already, this is obviously, we're picking up the story, um, Lazarus is, uh, uh, has died. And so Jesus has come uh, to the place and there is uh, where the tomb is and where Lazarus lies. So yeah, we're picking up the story, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had already been dead or had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. And Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, here is Jesus, and he has come to Bethany, and four days after the death of Lazarus, the brother of um, uh, Martha and Mary, the Bible tells us, and so Jesus is speaking with them, and here particularly Martha, who comes out to meet him. And uh, Jesus is obviously mindful of what it is that he's about to do. Uh, he is well aware, obviously, that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but no one else is aware of this or knows uh, the intentions or plan and purpose of God in this instance. And so... Um, in the conversation that Martha is having with Jesus, she says, Lord, if you had been here, in verse 21, my brother would not have died. Now, Jesus obviously hears that statement. And, uh, and she says, whatever you ask, I know God will grant it to you. But Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Now, that's a pretty general statement. Obviously, Jesus meant a little bit more than the resurrection at the last day. But Martha obviously has an understanding from the, the Old Testament about the resurrection that it is revealed there. And so she's thinking, of course, we await that time, the resurrection at the last day. And so, but Jesus is obviously, when he says those words, it's not exactly what he has in mind, is it? He's not thinking of the last day, he's thinking of today. <laughs> And so um, he, he, he responds, but it's, it's interesting because, um, of course, Martha says he'll be resurrected. 
and the last day. But Jesus responds in verse 25, and he says these famous words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and life. He has just taken this whole situation and that is centered around the death of Lazarus and now he's just put all the attention and focused on himself. And he says, Martha, listen to me. I am the resurrection and the life. Or in other words, Martha, I am the author of resurrection. And I am the source of all life, Martha. I am resurrection and life. And I have the power to rise and I have the power to raise from the dead. And here he makes this glorious statement about himself. And in stating this position, in stating this fact concerning himself, he says in verse 25, He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, this is the, uh, this is the reality of the one who believes in Jesus. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And we know this to be a simple truth of the gospel that we preach in light of the fact that many die and all will die unless the Christ comes. Uh, and again, those that are alive and remain, they'll be caught up, praise the Lord. But otherwise, we find that the, this is the destiny, is death. And though uh, one may die, he shall live. And then he says again in verse 26, and whoever lives, or in other words, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So even in relation to any level aspect of physical death, the reality is, is it has no impact, no significance into the greater purpose of God in relation to the fact that Jesus is resurrection and life and also that which relates to eternal life. And though one may die physically, they will never, ever, ever die. Praise the Lord. And so, <coughs> Jesus is obviously saying that death is not the end. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? And she's still not quite catching, obviously, what he's saying. But she says to him, oh, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ. Obviously you are, but she's not fully grasping what it is that Jesus is speaking and this statement that he is making. But we understand what this means, hallelujah. Death is not the end. Death for the Christian is just the beginning. And for the one that believes in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we have no fear of death. And so because we understand that death is just the next phase into the life that is to come, hallelujah, that we have already received. And so death for us does not uh, have the same impact that it has to the world. Let's face it. That's right, to die is gain. And so Martha, do you believe it? Christian, do we believe it? Absolutely we do. We know that the scriptures tell us to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so this is the hope that we have. And though one may die, we, are, we understand that having believed in Jesus, we shall live. Because we already have life. We are already alive to God. We are already alive in Him. We are already partakers, amen, of His resurrection. And so we are to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. 
That's one truth. And we also know the second truth that relates to the physical resurrection where uh, one day this, this corruptible will put on incorruption. And so we can't wait for that day. Hallelujah. There will be no more death. Death will be swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your sting? Because the truth is, um, even now, in the light of human human life, death has a sting to it, humanly speaking. I mean, we live, we abide together, we grow together, we have loved ones and so forth. And so as much as we, uh, we, uh, we see the plurality of death, uh, there is a sting in death, even still, because there's a sorrow that's associated, because we've just departed, my loved ones has departed. And so they're not with us right now. So we understand that. But, you know, we understand the reality where, where the Bible tells us that ultimately death will be utterly defeated. See, Jesus has already conquered it. In his resurrection from the dead, he reversed the curse. Hallelujah. The wages of sin is death. But you see, having risen from the dead, he conquered it and he ascended to heaven. And now we, amen, have already had a down payment of the Spirit of God that is in us as a guarantee to the until the time of the redemption of the purchased possession. Me. And we will experience a physical resurrection. And death will be swallowed up in victory. As it already has by Christ himself. And will ultimately be fulfilled. That's the hope that we have. In Revelation chapter 21. The Bible speaks of this even further when it says now I, I saw in verse 1 I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and also there was no more sea then I John saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe, now here, verse 4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Death will be swallowed up in ultimate victory. Hallelujah. But we know it already has. Glory to God in Christ Jesus. And that's the confidence, that's the faith. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and, I, and the life, amen, he is, hallelujah. And he proved it not only on the day in which he raised Lazarus from the dead that day, because he had power to do so, but also as a foretaste of himself, amen, in which he himself would rise from the dead. And death could not hold him down. And having defeated the powers of darkness, having defeated death, he triumphed, the Bible says, and then he ascended and he's seated now in victory. Hallelujah. I'm the resurrection and I am the life. That's the reality of this particular text. That's the reality of Christ. That is the reality of death. That's the reality of our us as our hope that lies in Christ Jesus but I want to draw to your attention this morning the other aspects of resurrection that we find in the Bible. Because Jesus said that he is the resurrection and 
He is the life. And so what I want to consider now is the life of the resurrection that is ours in Christ. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said, and which he is. But now we are to know and experience the power of our resurrection and the life as Christians. And this is what we find taught here in the scriptures, as I will seek to show you, that we have that power, we have that life now. It is operative. It is at work in us. And so even though we live in this still in this mortal body, even though we are outward is still subject to death as it is, we have in us, hallelujah, the resurrection power and the life of Christ. I am the resurrection and I am the life is in us, in Christ Jesus, as Christ be in us and we be in Christ. Now this is exciting as I see these things in the scripture. I do, I get excited. When I, even as I consider these things, Romans 6, you can go there and you know the scriptures, but the, I, I get, I, every time I, I read them and I look at them and I see them and as they're written, I get excited because this is the gospel. This is the reality for the Christian that we should be experienced as part of our normal Christian life, as part of our victory that is in Christ. So let's look at Romans chapter 6. And so obviously there's a context here that Paul's talking about, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? But he begins to talk in verse 3, and he says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Okay, so we, 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 we see here clear identification with his death. We were buried with him in baptism. Now, we could say this is speaking about water baptism, but water baptism, remember, is symbolic of that which is spiritually happened, of an internal reality. Baptism is only an external thing. It's symbolic. But so the baptism here that is being referred to is much more than water baptism. It is the spiritual baptism that is referred to here. It relates to being in Christ. And so we were baptized into his death. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now notice it says, just as we were, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so just as Christ was raised, there's that phrase in terms of the resurrection, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. That newness of life is directly correlated to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's resurrection life. It's resurrection power. It's, it's, this is reiterated in verse 5. Look, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, which we are, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So having already identified with his death through baptism, we also in baptism, amen, we have been united in the likeness of his resurrection. Now you say, well, I'm not yet resurrected. That's right, we aren't. But now we have access, hallelujah, to his spirit and Christ is in us and this is now where the resurrection life or I am the resurrection and life is now living inside of us. 
So we, we are also identified with his resur- in the likeness of his res- resurrection and we walk in this newness of life. How can a Christian continue to live and walk in death? Or in this case, he's talking about sin. How can we continue to live in sin? No, we, walk, we are now partakers of the resurrection. In the same way in which we identified with his death in, uh, um, through, his, through his burial, we also now are identified with his resurrection, is what Paul is telling us. And he will go even further to uh, reiterate this. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, this is this body of sin, this Adamic nature, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that also we shall live with him. If we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. This is not talking about something in the future. This is talking about a life that we have now. Now, having already identified with his death, and now we also have identified in the likeness of his resurrection, Paul is saying, in the context here of sin, we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. See, now this is resurrection life. And then he says, verse 11, Likewise you also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, and, uh, but now alive to God in Christ Jesus in the same way in which Christ was raised from the dead, in the likeness of his resurrection. And so we are walking in the power of his resurrection. We are walking in a newness of life. We are walking in resurrection life because uh, we are spiritually now raised with him, Ephesians. And so this is the truth that Paul is identifying and he's trying to teach the believer for us to see and identify. That's why he says in verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, but reckon yourselves dead. You know, that word reckon means to, to take an account and come to the conclusion and understanding that because of what Jesus has done in his death, burial and resurrection and in our identification with Christ in his death and resurrection, that one plus one equals two. That's what Paul say. And so that's how simple it is. And that's how simple it should be. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so it's this resurrection life. It's this resurrection power that is to be lived and experienced in the Christian life. It's the power that gives us to live in victory over sin. It's a power that gives us the ability to have victory in, in, in the world in which we live. It's resurrection life. You can go back now, I say go further, go turn over to Romans 8. You see this truth reiterated further. In verse 9, but you, we that are here, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. It's that simple, isn't it? If you, you, if you have the Spirit, you are his. If you don't have the Spirit, you are not his. And so this is, the, this is what we must understand. Now listen to what he says, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, which he is, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So the righteousness that we have been imputed to through Christ Jesus, this is the righteousness and the life of God that now we are partakers of. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So in other words, Paul is teaching us that the spirit of God that dwells in us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, resurrection power, resurrection life is the phrase that is commonly used. This same spirit that is in us will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so even though my out, the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward, I'm getting older. I'm feeling it, believe me. And I'm starting to look at too. I'll be grey very shortly. And some of you are already there. And some of you, well, you're going to get there. <laughs> but you see, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And even when Paul talks about this, he talks about in Corinthians in terms of the context of resurrection, of the assurance that we have. But you see, this, this, this resurrection life is even quickening our mortal bodies now, in the sense not that it reverses the, the process of death, but we experience outside of any physical life, we experience a spiritual life and a spiritual reality, and that's how we walk. We don't walk after the flesh. We walk after the spirit. And this is what Paul's trying to show us. And we'll even go further in his teaching. And let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Again, a familiar portion of scripture. Again, he's talking about the righteousness of Christ and being found in him. But associated with this righteousness is a life. And associated with this life is what we, we can understand as resurrection life. Because Paul even refers to it as such. Look at verse 10. In speaking of uh, having been justified through Christ and through faith and, and his position in Christ Jesus, he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now notice that in verse 10 and 11 there's a distinction because verse 11 is clearly related to the physical resurrection that Paul has taught elsewhere and that we find in scripture. Obviously that's the center. But you see, and that's what, that's what will come this resurrection from the dead. But in the meantime, Paul says in verse 10 that I may know him 
Knowing Christ, remember, eternal life is knowing him, knowing God. In a more deeper way, we grow in our relationship with Christ so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wants to appropriate an experience in his life now as he serves the Lord and as he labours for the Lord, the power of the resurrection of Christ at work in him. And this, he's acutely aware of this as he prays this prayer. Or as he makes this statement that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. See, Paul has a practical power in, in, his, in, in mind when he says this. He's thinking in a practical sense. He's not just speaking in spiritual uh, you know, uh, concepts uh, and mysteries. He says, when he says the power of his resurrection, he has a practical purpose in his mind in stating that. And it's the practical power of the resurrection, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So notice the present statements that he makes in verse, in verse 10. See, we can, I've heard preachers in my younger days, they would always talk about the power of the resurrection, especially in Pentecostal circles. And I'm not discrediting that, but just let's put it in its context, okay? Because it's there. But let's not escape the context, and we'll get to that in a minute. But you see, we say we talk about the glorious power of his resurrection, and it is, it's a glorious, wonderful truth that is to be experienced by the Christian. But don't take the truth out of its context, because then you'll, you'll bring it into error, which is what some of the, or a lot of Pentecostals I saw did, being a Pentecostal myself, in that sense. But you see, he says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Gee, that sounds like life, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, just stick to the power of the resurrection. We'll just stay there. Because the, when he says uh, the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death, he is speaking physically. In a physical sense. I'll show you that in a minute. Because he's, but at the same time, he wants to know him more. And more than that, he wants to experience the power of his resurrection at work in and through his life as Paul so did. But it was his desire to do so over and over and again and again. And notice... In Paul speaking about this power, he's acutely aware that it is associated with the effort that he is uh, exerting, if you want to use, in terms of his laboring for the Lord. Because in the context, in verse 12, he talks about forgetting those things that are behind, I press on. And so you, you see a man that is so uh, determined, that is so passionate, that's so driven, that's so motivated, that he is in pursuit of the next thing that God has for him, what it is that he needs to do next. And so as he physically exerts himself and expends himself in the purposes of God, he's acutely aware that he needs something far beyond any human will and power, as much as that is associated and works together with it. But he needs the power of God to be operating in and through him, and as it did and as it was, and the Bible says it worked in him mightily. Hallelujah. So we need the power 
to live the Christian life, as Romans 6 8 teaches. We need the power to do the will of God, as Paul would show us here in Philippians chapter 3. And it all rests in the power of the resurrection and his life. And that is when I, sh- I want to show you the context of how this works and how the power of the resurrection manifests in our lives. Because, as I said to you earlier, coming from a Pentecostal background, there's much emphasis on this, and rightly so. There is, there is truth to it. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm preaching it. But you can't take the truth of the resurrection power and disconnect it from its context and I have seen this and even as recently as a few years ago I saw this when we as a family we went away and were in Queensland and I, we visited this church and, uh, and anyway it was a hyper Pentecostal, Dominionist um, everything you know all the ex- excesses and errors that you find within Pentecostalism were on display that morning and as the preacher preached and as he, you know, was whipping them in a frenzy and as he was alive and so forth, uh, and he made reference to power and power and resurrection power. And as he spoke of the spirit and as he went into uh, to give a, a little exposition of uh, Romans 8 and how the spirit is in us and works on our behalf and all those things, he forgot to mention one little thing. You know what it was? Suffering. That's right. He forgot to mention suffering. But let me say this. He didn't forget. He deliberately took it out. (laughs) Because it didn't fit his theology, you see. Didn't fit the theology. If I'm talking about power and life, we can't talk about suffering. We can't talk about the fellowship of his suffering. We can't talk about being conformed to his death. Because that doesn't fit the theology. And so, but yet we will see in Scripture that this is exactly, when Paul speaks about resurrection power, this is exactly the context in which he has in mind of which it manifests itself. Out of human weakness, out of human suffering, in whatever the context may be, and they are, it's, it's much varied, Because Paul clearly says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. See, conformed to his very death, or conformed to his death. See, the atmosphere of the, the resurrection on life and the power of the resurrection is fully expressed and made manifest in suffering. See, even if you go to Romans chapter 8, and you can look, and it is a glorious chapter. It is the pinnacle of Christian theology. If you want to follow the Romans road, so to speak, and come to chapter 8. But don't disconnect it from its context. Because there's a duality that you can't ignore. And that's why um, in verse 18 of, of chapter 8, Paul will say, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings, the various sufferings of life. 
And again, this is, multi, this is uh, multifaceted in, in different ways in terms of suffering, but the context is suffering. As we'll find in other aspects of Scripture, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. My grace is sufficient. You know, Paul is in weakness and he's suffering and he's praying God and God says, my strength's made perfect in your weakness. And that's the type of, of thing that we're, we're identifying and we're seeing in the Scriptures. And so there's aspects of suffering in terms of persecution, in terms of rejection, in terms of reproach, in terms of physical, in terms... I mean, the aspect of suffering can, can apply in so many different ways, but it doesn't change the principal truth of the power of his resurrection because it's at that point that the power of his resurrection becomes a reality for us. Hallelujah. How? Again, we'll see it in Scripture. You can go, actually turn with me to Second uh, Peter, or sorry, First Peter. In First Peter, you see these, uh, uh, in our struggle against sin, and Peter talks about the struggles that we have in this life, in this body, and the battle that we, we this constant. But listen to his, again, in, 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 he talks about suffering in Christ's sufferings and our sufferings and the struggle of, the, uh, of, of suffering in relation to sin and the flesh. And he says in chapter 3, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by God, made alive by the Spirit. So there is again suffering and resurrection power. Okay? It's a, it's a duality. Now, you can go to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And that's truth. Now uh, we have to deny the flesh. We have to deny many aspects of the desires of the flesh. And there's a suffering because we have to put those things to death. And we have to now uh, pursue and live according to the Spirit and according to the will of God. Go down to chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Oh my gosh, Christians are going through a trial. Christians can suffer. Mm -hmm. But rejoice to the extent that you are partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Again, there's the duality. One part we're physically suffering and the in part uh, is being renewed and we, we are living according to the power of the resurrection. And so verse 19 of chapter 4, 1 Peter again. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Hallelujah. And so we're living and we're walking and we are experiencing the resurrection power in the midst of suffering. Now let me show you one last thing. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now I said to you before, when Paul prayed this prayer, or when he spoke, 
in Philippians, and he said, the power that I may know the power, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. When he said those words, this is exactly how it is expressed right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now notice the words, starting from verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So the excellency of the power, what's Paul referring to? He's talking about resurrection life, power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that is in us and working in and through us. This is what Paul's talking about in verse 7. Now notice what he says in verse 8. We are hard pressed. He says we are perplexed. He says in verse 9, we are persecuted. And he says again in verse 9, we are struck down. Now, in saying those things in and of themselves, they seem quite oppressive and depressive. But yet, if you look carefully, he counters every one of those statements with the off, and he offsets it with the power that is at work in him. Look at what he says in verse 8. But we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. He says, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. And he says again, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I love that. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm strong. In Christ, amen, we triumph. We are strong in him, in the power of his might. This is what Paul's talking about. And in light of everything that's going on around him, physically speaking, and the sufferings that he's experiencing, he's also at the same time experiencing a power that he's working in him and through him. And this is what he talks about in the next verses. Listen carefully. Look at verse 10. He says, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. So in my body, I'm, I'm being, in other words, I am in, I'm experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings in the previous verses, verse 8 and 9. But now in verse 10, I'm being conformed to his death. But what's the result of being conformed to his death? Listen, it's resurrection life. Because look at what he says. He says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus might also be manifested in our body. And so, and so as I am being conformed to his death, the very life of Christ is manifesting itself through me and this is resurrection. This is the power of his resurrection. This is the power that Paul talks about, that the excellence of the power in verse 7 that he's referring to. You can leave that on. Look further. So in verse, verse 10, he says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death. I praise the Lord. Thank God for that. <laughs> 
Thank God. We're always going to be delivered to death, church. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The power of your resurrection. Oh, yes, because it's out of that that the power of the resurrection, the resurrection comes in. Because look at verse uh, 11. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So this is the power. This is the power of the resurrection. This is resurrection life at manifesting in and through Paul the Apostle. And he says this is how the principle works for you and for I. And so he says in verse 12, So then death is working in us, but life in you. Resurrection life. Resurrection power. And so this is how... It all works, church. When we, talk, when, when we talk about resurrection power and resurrection life, this is the context. This is the treasure that is in an earthen vessel. The treasure, resurrection power is in me. The life of Christ is in me. And though I may be delivered to death, though I may suffer, though everything outwardly may, may uh, just equal um, death, which it does, Paul says, he says, you know what it really equals? Because out of that, the resurrection power and life of God, because life is, because he's, God is the one who commands life, amen, out of death. That's the principle. And so as we, as we are, as Paul, and Paul knew it. I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, because when that happens, uh, and as I subject myself to that, God is working in and through me. And he's giving life to those around me. And, that, and Paul would tell us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, I think it is, he says, this power works in me mightily. And I pray for the same thing, hallelujah. And so let's live the Christian life and go this morning with an understanding of this very thing, of what resurrection power, resurrection life really is and what it looks like. And let's say, Lord... What do you want me to do? Let's, like Paul, let's forget those things that are behind us. Let's press towards the goal of the upward call of God. What is it that's next? That, the next task, Lord. Because as we pursue the will of God, as we give ourselves and as we press on, God will continue to do his work because that resurrection power will be consistently at work in and through our lives. Amen? God bless you this morning. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the word of God this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life, and that we as your people, God, we are partakers of the life of the resurrection. God, that spirit that is in us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And when we see in your word, Lord, how it works and the principles that are attached with it, God, let us understand, let us embrace it, and let us even like Paul say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of your sufferings. And I want to be conformed to your death. Because, Lord, in doing so, as I uh, then, Lord, you will work in and through us to your glory according to your power. So we thank you and we praise you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.